welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, February 19th, 2014. That's right, this is the second interview I'm doing tonight, if you are uh, paying attention and scoring at home and the dates that I've mentioned. But we've got another great interview to bring to you. I am going to be talking to somebody that has a project on Kickstarter right now that is doing very well. And a little teaser, and we'll, we'll get into it a bit at the time. But yeah, if there's a past interview that this person's name has definitely been mentioned. I, I know that for a fact. So... Who am I talking to on Skype tonight? This is Ben Haskett. That's right. Ben is joining us. Kind of excited. I've known Ben for a while too. This is, this is the night of, uh, reunions and, and, and <laughs> friends and family <laughs> interviews. Ben has a Kickstarter right now called Tower and the full, if you're looking for it on Kickstarter, of course, one thing you can do is check the show notes because I will put the link there. But it's Tower, a board game of buying and building, and you can find that on Kickstarter. Ben, you are joining me for the first time, so we've got some warm-up questions for you. Ooh. Ooh. So other than being an Uber game designer, <laughs> what do you do as a profession, sir? As a profession, I am a judicial assistant at the Court of Appeal 3rd Appellate District in uh, Sacramento. And what that means really is that I'm, I'm a secretary. I work for the clerk of the court and, you know, I do secretarial things. I schedule meetings and I, I make travel arrangements and I make copies. So, you know, stimulating stuff. Uh, it's cool working at an appellate court. I did not know what an appellate court was before I started working there, but it's very proper there um it's definitely a more proper atmosphere than i'm used to before that i was a barista at a cafe so it's definitely you know it's <laughs> it's a step up in that regard so i really like it there but uh yeah it's good old-fashioned secretarial work okay so you're not a teacher i am not that is correct i'm not a teacher you're not in it no <laughs> on, although that... what's funny is i think sometimes my appearance gives people the impression that i am in it just today, I worked on somebody's computer, and uh, I was just fumbling around in the dark. I had no idea what I was doing, but I mean, it ended up okay. I mean, I did what everybody else does. I just turned it off and turned it back on again, but it was funny that they, they assumed that I would know exactly what I was doing. I'm happy that worked out. 80-85% of game designers seem to be IT <laughs> slash teachers. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, that's a pretty big trend. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what makes you a geek, sir? What makes me a geek? I think, well, I think all of my interests are geeky. They haven't always been. When I was in high school, I was not geeky at all, but I got into video games. And I think at that point, I was maybe in a little bit of geek denial. I was like, I play video games, but I'm not, I'm not really a geek at all. I mean, you know, I don't play Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that. And then I eventually got into board games and then I eventually got into Dungeons and Dragons. I love Dungeons and Dragons now. Most of the things I would say that I'm interested in, you know, video games, board games, I like music, but uh, even that is on a geeky level. I like classical guitar. I learned how to play a lot of video game music on that. And You've probably heard me ask it before, but do you have any Geek level passions that other people would not consider geek related. You know, I did know this question was coming <laughs> and I tried to think for a good long while about how I was going to answer it. I'm like, I have, I have to have some 
passion somewhere that isn't totally geeky, and I don't think I do anymore. You know, that's all right too. That's that's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> I because I wanted to say, well, yeah, sure, I, I play guitar, but even that, I think that has reached a very geeky level. You know, I the the fingernails and all that. Uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Like, you know, I grow out the fingernails. I use those as guitar picks. So, like, <laughs> even I, I would say everything at this point is taken from a pretty geeky angle. But most people probably wouldn't consider guitar like, oh, you play guitar and you have a passion for the guitar. You're a geek. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, touche. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess that would be my answer then. Well, yeah, yeah, I, play, yeah. I play classical guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like we've talked about in the past is like the, the people that are like massively into fantasy football. There is no way in hell you'll usually get them to admit that they are geeking out about something when that is a very good point. <laughs> uh, and that's just, you know, like we, we've said in the past, that's just one of those things that we like to punctuate from time to time that you can really geek out about anything. If you, uh, if you have a, uh, that level of passion for something. That's true. That's very true. All right. So you're not exactly a stranger to game design here, and you're not a stranger to having a game on Kickstarter, correct? That is true. Tower is the first game that I have uh, attempted to to self-publish, but before this, I had my first game. It was called Baldrick's Tomb. That was picked up by Fifth Street Games. I guess almost exactly one year ago now is, is when it went up and that was pretty successful. We ended about 500 backers strong. So, uh, that was pretty cool. So yeah, it's those two games. There, there's Tower now and before that there was, uh, Baldur's Tomb. First, let's go with you said you used to be a barista and, and now you work in the appellate court and all that good stuff. What was your transition or what was your switch to say, you know what? I think I want to make games. Well, it was a couple of years ago. And well, I would say probably about two and a half years ago, I'd never played a board game that wasn't just completely ubiquitous, you know, that you couldn't walk into Target and buy for like $5. You know, I, I, I had played Scrabble and I thought it was okay. I'd played Monopoly and I absolutely hated it. And, uh, one time I had played the Settlers of Catan at a game night and I loved it. But that was my only experience with that game ever. And I was really interested in designing, or not really, I was interested in the pipe dream of designing a video game. I was especially into roguelikes at the time. I'd been playing a lot of Sheer and the Wanderer, and I'd been picking up a bunch of old PS1 games and Tornico's Dungeon. You know, that, you know, I had a lot of fun times with that. And I was like, well, it'd be really cool if I could, you know, maybe make one of my own these days. And I was thinking about, you know, getting into programming. I'm looking at all that, and then I don't know exactly what it was. It was like a light went off in my head, and I just realized, oh my gosh, I could just, I could put it on paper. And that's how Baldur's 2 was born. I just, I tried to sort of, I guess, find a vehicle for, for this roguelike idea that would not be in the form of a video game. And that really, I would say... That was the catalyst for pretty much everything board game related for me, but that's when I found Board Game Geek. And that's when I started buying board games. That's how I found the Game Crafter. Although I probably found the Game Crafter about four times before I really realized what it was. <laughs> I was like, what is this weird website? And I totally did not get it at all. But I, yeah, I would say the, the realization that I had no programming skills whatsoever is what got me into board gaming and what got me into board game design too. 
Okay. Let me step a little bit back. So Baldrick's tomb was like your first design? Yes. Okay. So that was one you spent. So how much time did you spend on Baldrick's tomb? Baldrick's tomb came together remarkably fast. You know, you're killing people right now. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I just threw this game together. Fist oh, Street no. picked it up. <laughs> it was successful on Kickstarter. I just walked away with piles of cash. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, well, all right, let's, let's take it easy on that last part. But, um, I, I will say that like this worked out remarkably well. So when I first had the idea, it came together pretty quickly because my idea coincided with the discovery of uh, the game crafter. So almost immediately I had all these tools to take advantage of. And I was really into web design before that. I would say, Oh my gosh, I guess that was a geek level passion. I worked with Adobe flash for a long time and I was super into web design, but you know, the iPhone came along and people stopped supporting flash gradually. So that kind of died, but I had had a lot of years of experience with both Photoshop and, and flash and a few other programs so I was able to put this together and like get a prototype out. And then I, I mailed it off or like I uploaded it to the game crafter and I ordered a prototype and I had my wife and my brother and uh, my sister-in-law sit down and we played it. It was, you know, pretty good. And I just worked on it from there. And then it like literally at the exact same time, the game crafter announced an RPG contest or I guess they called it the RPG challenge which was to design a game on the Game Crafter that hadn't been released, you know, that you hadn't released elsewhere before and do it under a certain cost limit. And I looked at all my components and I said, oh my gosh, I can do this. So I finished designing it and I uploaded it and that was that. I I would say even I got lucky on so many levels because the big obstacle, of course, I was, you know, I had this game idea, but I was like, I'm not an artist. I have no idea how I'm going to make this look pretty. And I was looking through the Game Crafters forums and there was a guy who had made a post and it was, you know, I don't remember the exact quote, but, you know, I could paraphrase and say, hey, I'm an artist and I just want to illustrate your game for free. So if you are into that, write me an email. And I knee jerk reaction was scam. Although I don't even know how, like, how would, how that would even be a scam. But like, I was like, I'm going to end up spending money on this or something. So I emailed this guy and his name was, was Kevin Harris. And he actually, I mean, he turned out to be just like genuinely like a super nice, awesome guy. And he was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I told him my idea and he was like, yeah, I'm into it. So, you know, shoot me some, some requests for how you would like the art to look. And I did. I sent him this big list that was like, okay, I, you know, I want these monsters and, and these characters and these treasures. And I, even at that point, I was not expecting anything, anything to come out of it because, you know, I mean, that's, that's too good to be true. I mean, who out there <laughs> would do that for someone else? But almost immediately, like, I think the very next day, like pieces of artwork, you know, three or four every day just kind of trickled into my inbox. And so pretty quickly, I was able to put together this, this game that, that worked. And, you know, I would say it kind of Baldrick's Tomb worked because there weren't any radical game design ideas in there. It's <laughs> the game that exists today was not the game that Baldrick's Tomb first was. It was actually a roll and move game when it first came out, which I found out, I mean, pretty quickly after I got into designing games that that was pretty much <laughs> the worst thing you could do. But I had something that looked 
good and played well enough and I submitted to the contest and I was lucky enough to win. You know, Ben, like I said, I've known you for quite a while and, you, and you're just, you're, you're great. You're the nicest guy in the world, but man, you're not winning any, any friends. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I just breeze through everything. Design, what's that? I just, I just said the game was good and people just threw money at me. <laughs> It was a unique experience. I'll say that. I, it was something that I never thought would happen. But a month after having the idea, I was pretty shocked to like look at it and go like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a game. Like this is, this is a real thing. I can't, I can't believe this is finished. And I, yeah, I'm probably, people are probably cursing my name. <laughs> <up>. but, I, <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So you, you won the contest and how, how much longer after that? did the fifth street games process come it about took, it took a while okay so let's see i got i submitted the, the game to the contest in february and that would be 2012 and then they decided it was jason tagmeyer you might remember him from pixel lincoln and a few games before that he was the judge on that contest and i won by a hair there were, I mean, seven really good finalists. And I remember that I only won because he couldn't, uh, the, the other guy that I was competing with and I can't, I think it was called dwarf knuckle. Like there was something in the rules that wasn't quite clear enough. And he was like, well, so like basically they got docked points and I won. So that was great. That happened in April. And then I published it on the game crafter proper. Like I, put it in the store and you know i think part of me thought sales were just going to pour in at that point but they they really didn't i got one sale and it was it was from my mom so that was that was really nice so after that i was like well all right what do i have to do and you know conventional wisdom said well you got to send it out to reviewers and so i you know i started doing that i sent it to father geek was the first one i sent it to i know you're very familiar with cyrus no no it's <laughs> who's that guy yeah it's oh. he's my arch nemesis from what i understand i don't know Oh, who knew? <laughs> so, um, I sent it to him and, uh, I almost, I didn't quite get the approval. I, uh, the child, the child geeks loved it. The parent geeks loved it. The gamer geeks were not so hot on it. And this is when I learned that, that Roland move was a, a, a bad, awful, terrible thing. And so I realized, okay, well, I have to remove that. And so I sat down on it. And that was the first time I, I actually had to like do like any real game design work i guess <laughs> i mean well see i think at this point i'm probably lying like i'm looking back and i really did put like a lot of hours into this but you know it's easy to look back and go you know because it just you know time flies and go like wow i can't believe that happened like it was nothing but i worked hard on it you know i had to re remove the the roll and move part of it so i gave characters a set movement and everything and then i sent it to Another reviewer, I sent it to a video review outlet called The Gamer's Table, which, of course, I, I know you've heard of them. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> what was funny is that at this point, I was almost developing a trend, like without even knowing it. Like subconsciously, I realized what I was doing is I was using reviewers as playtesters. Not, <laughs> not intentionally, but, you know, I sent it to Father Geek as though it was a finished game. 
And they reviewed it. And I took that as feedback and I said, all right, well, I can make it better. And I changed it. And then I sent it to the gamers table and the gamers table reviewed it. And they liked it a lot more. And there were a few things that they didn't like about it. And I was like, well, all right, I'm going to take that back and I'm going to change it again. And then I actually sent it at that point to Cyrus one more time. I sent him an updated game. I said, all right, what do you think of this? And that's when I got uh, like the, you know, the full father geek approval. <laughs> and then you know, I keep talking about how lucky I was of just being in the right place at the right time. After I had gotten that feedback from from those two uh, reviewers, I saw that Jungle Ascent, a game from Fifth Street, had just finished, had just wrapped up on Kickstarter. And this is kind of when I first discovered Kickstarter. So I didn't, I missed the boat on that. I didn't pledge on that game. And I didn't really understand what Kickstarter was to an extent. I, you know, I hadn't gotten into that mode yet. So I missed out on that, but I wrote him and I said, Hey, I've got this game and I think it would be a good fit for fifth street. So, um, if you'd like, I'll send it to you. And he brought me back the next day. And I think I just had to be in the right place at the right time. Cause he had, he had probably just finished with jungle ascent and he might've been thinking to himself like, well, now what am I going to do? And then he got this email from me. So he said, yeah, sure, send me a prototype. And I did. And then a few weeks later, he he got it. Because, you know, the way the Game Crafter works, you know, you, you place an order and it sits in the queue for a while. And then it finishes and it gets sent out. So he got it. He played it. He had some ideas. He's like, you know, this is a good game, but this is what needs to change. And I said, yes, sir. And I, <laughs> you know, I sat down and I was like, you know, I, I was freaking out because I was like, How? Like, I had no idea. I didn't have any context for talking with a publisher. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know, like, if I work on this like and change it, like, am I going to make it better or make it worse? But apparently I made it better. And then three weeks later, we started talking contracts. Nice. And then after that, I mean, to, to continue, and like, I really don't want people to start hating me here. But <laughs> what I've heard about the publishing process is that once your game gets picked up by a publisher, it goes through, I mean, it'll probably just sit there for anywhere between like one and three years while they just get it ready. And they, you know, they basically they just beautify it and they, they get it pretty. And then they finally show it to the world and say, here's this game. And Phil, you know, looking back, like I, he's kind of a radical. Like it was, it was pretty crazy. He launched the game on Kickstarter like three months later. Yeah, I think it depends on the, the publisher and everything, but I think especially with a, a smaller publisher, yeah, they're, they're a little more hands-on and they're, there's probably a faster turnaround on some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think Phil's turned around almost every game he's gotten fairly quickly. <laughs> I would agree with that, yeah. I mean, because since, let's see, Baldur's Tomb ended halfway through April last year, and since then, he's already run Smash Monster, and then Mobtown is up on Kickstarter right now. So I would say you're right. Yeah, he he turns those things around pretty quickly. And, I mean, they look fantastic when they finally come out. Yeah, and just like with yours coming out of a con, I mean, Mobtown came out of one of the Game Crafter contests. And, yeah, and so from, from the time it won to him potentially getting a hold, I mean, I haven't actually talked to, to Danny about it, but that time frame seems to, it's, it's not a huge amount of time. Not only from that, but I know like they changed the artwork and stuff on it and, and uh, made it animals versus regular mafia and stuff. But that right. was that was a pretty quick turnaround, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it was even faster in that case because Danny does all his own artwork. In fact, yes. I think I'm I might be the only game or the only like uh, game designer that he's ever published a game from who didn't do their own art. Oh no, wait, never mind. 
Smash Monster was the, was the same case. He hired out for that artwork too. But before that, you know, the game designer of Jungle Ascent, I think he did all his, his artwork himself. And then before that, there was Farmageddon. And I think his name, yeah, no, his name is Grant. I met him, um, yeah, Grant Rodian. late last year. I think by the time he showed the game to Phil, all the artwork was already done. So. Yeah, I think you know. so. Cause I mean, uh, Farmageddon was on the Game Crafter for a while too. Uh, and uh yeah in fact uh, i think my original cop i still i might still have my original copy from the game crafter around here somewhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's got to be a relic i would love to see what that looks like someday we can kind of get off of that a little bit but it was just kind of to show your journey here a bit is tower the very next game you started working on or it wasn't the very next game it was the next game that i decided okay i will take this to the next level after i i guess maybe just high from how well things had gone with the first one i was like well i want to do this again and i think also once you start playing board games you know, ideas at that point just kind of just start to fall out of you. And I put a lot of them on paper and a lot of them were garbage. And uh, so Tower was the next working okay. game design that I put together. And I think I started in earnest on that right around the time Phil had picked up Baldrick's Tube. So he kind of took that off my plate and I just had all this free time now to, to work on Tower. You know, I just kind of did that quietly in the shadows. <laughs> You had Baldrick's Tomb, and and it sounds like Baldrick's Tomb was a pretty big learning process for you, even in just game design terms. Oh, yeah. So have you developed a design process for yourself yet, or do you feel like you're still kind of working through that? Or are you one of the people, one of those people that's like, it's really going to depend on the game and and my process might change uh, depending on the game? I would, I think my process would change depending on the game. Well, I would. All right, let's say it's a mix of both. I think that the process is different from game to game, and also I'm still just kind of finding my way. Part of me just feels like I've just bumbled through this, like just, you know, stumbled into all these these weird things the whole way and and just happened to have found myself here. But with Tower, I did have a specific idea in mind that it came to light through just browsing the Game Crafters parts store. And that's how, for a while, that's how I was getting my game ideas, is I would just, like, look at all the parts they had on offer, and I would ask myself, well, how can I use this in a game? And I actually looked at those little plastic stackers that they had, and I was like, how would anyone ever use this? Like, what is what is the application of this little piece? <laughs> And I was like, well, I guess you could, I guess you could stack it up in a tower or, or like use them as point trackers. And it's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you could make a tower. And honestly, honest to goodness, that's where the game idea came from. Nice. And it all just kind of, it went from there, but all not, not immediately though. In fact, the first iteration of tower was a terrible, awful game that involved, you know, there was this big board. And it had you traveling to these different places to collect materials and bring them back and work on your own tower. And, you know, I think each player had like 10 tower pieces. So it was this incredibly long, tedious game that did not work out at all. But, you know, I shelved it for a little while and then I pulled it back off the shelf to work on it. I I met that uh, the guy who did the art on it, his name is Derek Bacon. And uh, I contacted him about maybe doing some artwork for it after I was happy with it. But I would say my design process is to start with a loose idea 
and I don't know where the idea would come from. Sometimes it's, it's a theme that drives the game idea. And sometimes it's just, at least in the past, it was the will to use a specific part at the game crafter and turn that into a game. But, you know, I usually decorate it with whatever art skills I have to make it look nice and then play a few prototypes and then seek out more professional artwork for it. I'll just let you in on something for, from my perspective. Those stackers, the game that we play locally, you know, back when I was actually attempting to be a designer for a while <laughs> before I got swallowed up in podcasting. <laughs> I was yeah. using the, I, I have a game that uses those stackers. Like I was so happy when I, the game crafter finally got them. Cause I was getting them elsewhere <laughs> to use in my game. Really? Those exact stackers. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I was just, I was so thrilled. I was like, Oh, if I ever actually get the time, I can finally do that. It was that. And, uh, that made me happy. And then when he finally, uh, when, when JT and them finally brought in, uh, different colored D8s, because I actually reworked my game to D6s because they didn't have multicolored D8s. They only had the one color D8s and my game was a D8 game. <laughs> so, so wait, so did that game just get swallowed up into the ether and, and never is that game going away? Pretty much. I mean, it's, uh, every once in a while we break it out at like game nights or, or local conventions, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much, I haven't really had a whole lot of, or any, any time. Not a whole lot, any. I haven't had any time to work on it. Touche. I, I suppose you don't have a whole lot of free time. I mean, when you're pumping out what, what, like three or four podcasts a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. It's, a, it's, it's one of those things where I, it, I made a, a somewhat conscious decision that I'm, pretty happy where i am i'm happy with my role (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh and yeah i i I like games and i like game design and i think that helps me a bit in the in when i go to review stuff Mm -hmm. but i hit that crossroads right and it's like you know well well, like you and i were talking before we started the game crowdfunding is doing really well i i really enjoy the pace we've got in the pro in the podcast proper all that stuff we've actually got the network is talking about bringing on more podcasts and i'm in a couple of those (laughs) so it's just like uh i'm good i i think i think this is where i need to be right now Yeah, well, that's probably a good call. <laughs> but maybe you might go back and revisit it someday. Yeah, someday. I've got a couple of things. I got another one I was supposed to work on. Uh, my fiance, uh, asked me to work on a, on a game that I, a card game, a lighter card game that I was working on for a while. I need to get back to that someday too. <laughs> that would, yeah, that sounds really exciting. I hope you do do that. Do you do a lot of like play testing and blind play testing? Well, with Baldur's Tomb, absolutely not. That game came out, and the only people who had ever played it was just me, my wife, and my brother and his wife. And literally, the next playtester was Jason Tagmeier. So, with that case, in that case, no, that was a a weird thing that happened. And and you know, then I was using <laughs> poor Cyrus and and uh, Craig from the gamers table as my playtesters. <laughs> so after that, with Tower, it started off that way. Where I was like, well, I don't exactly know who I'm, who I'm going to play test this with. So I finished Tower and I put it out there. And I think once again, Cyrus was Cyrus and his family and his friends were one of the first people that, that played that game. But damn Cyrus every, every <laughs> time. <laughs> 
but you know, it, that's, and I was like, well, maybe this is just how it's going to be. Maybe this will just be my style. I'll design a game. No nice. one but me will have ever played it. And then we'll just see what happens from there. But of course, this, this did not continue in, in this way. I actually met, it was through Danny. I'm referring to Danny Devine, the designer of Mobtown. I, you know, I saw him, you know, at, at the Game Crafter and I congratulated him on, you know, his success. You know, the game looked great. And he was like, Hey, I, I see here, you know, you're from Sacramento. Have you ever met, uh, Sarah? Uh, that would be, of course, Sarah Reed from the game of crowdfunding. And she is pretty local. And he told me that, uh, she like gets together with a play testing group once a month. And that was when I realized how beneficial like real play testing could be. So that's when that started. So Tower had already been out, I would say about four months on the game crafter before I met or had any contact at all with Sarah. But uh, I went to that first, that it was the first game designer meeting that I had ever gone to. And it was at this game store called The Gamer's Grind. And it was also the last playtest set session at The Gamer's Grind. Unfortunately, the, the place was uh, shuttering its doors. Hopefully not forever. I hope it, I hope it comes back soon. But since then, we've actually been meeting at a roundtable pizza. And we get together once a month for about five hours and we play test games. And I brought Tower the first time and I ended up not bringing it out. I think part of me was, was kind of, like nervous, like, cause I was there with real game designers, you know, <laughs> who had, had successes and, and everything. Uh, shortly after I got there, there was a, a guy who had just like, just right then, like the night before wrapped up a successful Kickstarter. It was for a game called Dragon Caster. And so like, I was just kind of, I was, I was nervous. So I ended up not even bringing my game out. And at the end of the night, I gave my game to Sarah and I said, Hey, I'm sorry. I, I didn't get the chance to bring this out. Would you like to take it home with you and play test it? And so she took it home with her. And yeah, I would say that was that was the first. Well, that couldn't have been the first blind play test. Father Geek was the first blind play test. <laughs> anyway, Sarah took it home and her and Will played it. And she wrote me this really long Facebook message, like almost like the next day. I could not believe how quickly uh, her and Will had gotten to it. And she talked about what Will thought of the game. Will liked this and, you know, Will liked that. And we thought that this was really cool. And then like near the end, she was like, on the other hand, I really disliked this game. <laughs> and that, I think that was the first like, like real criticism I'd gotten. And so I was like, well, okay, let's, let's make this better. And so I started going to that playtesting group uh, every week and every single time I would bring tower and we'd play it at least once uh, sometimes twice and really iron out all the kinks and the, and the, the, I would say the, sh the shortcomings of the game and just made it a, a much, 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 much better game. Okay. So let me hit two things with you. Okay. One, how important has the game crafter and being part of the game crafter been to you as a designer? Oh man, the game, I would say they're the reason I'm a game designer because I didn't, when I first got the idea for my first game, I did not have any aspirations at all to be a game designer. My idea was that I would make this and it would be something that I could break out at like family game nights. And that was it. That was literally as far as all the aspirations went. It was because of, you know, all the community, you know, events that they had, like the contest. And they had that little chat box <laughs> down there at the bottom. And I would say that was that was the catalyst for everything. If it was, if it was not for the game crafter, I would not be a game designer. That plain and simple. I wouldn't have even had an interest in it. And it's their constant like community events with like the contests and stuff. And it's almost even more so. It's just 
that chat that is always going on, always running, always people in there just talking about game design and game ideas and providing feedback for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Very integral. Just to let everybody know that yeah, Ben and I are both chat admins slash moderators over at the Game Crafter. So we know each other from there as well and, and uh, talk there all the time. Uh, and the, the Game Crafter chat is a great place if you hit it at the right time. Sometimes you might walk in and not know what the hell you just walked into, but. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Sometimes it's like walking into a seedy bar and you just want to turn around and walk back out and go, what did I, what did I get into? Where are my friends? I'm leaving. I'm calling a cab. Yeah. But, but yeah. But if you ask the question, it'll probably get answered. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. And we're, we're always, uh, we're always willing to be interrupted. <laughs> Our heated discussions. Yeah. yeah, I I would say one of the most, some of the most important people in me becoming a game designer. I'm sure you're all you're very familiar with them because they're in the chat all the time. Schmitz is in there. I of course know him as Mark Major, but you know Schmitz is his, uh, you know his nickname in there. Uh, Sheppy or David Shepard, and of course Jason Glover with Great Home Games. Jason and I, we, oh man, we traded so much uh so many ideas for baldrick's tomb and, and cards he ended up buying a copy and he played it with his kids and his kids loved it and man we spent hours in there just talking about card ideas and little expansion packs and stuff which really came in handy when the game did get picked up because we had all these ideas like at the ready for for things that we could do with the game yeah. And, uh, the other thing, I'm, I'm going to swing back around to that because the other thing I was going to ask you as a game designer, and you've kind of, you've kind of alluded to it already, but just to kind of put a pin in it, how important to you as a game designer was it to be able to find a group of other game designers that would be able to help you play test and give you constructive feedback? Yeah, it was very, 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 very important. Before that, you know, I definitely had willing play testers. But they were family members and they were close friends. And I feel like, you know, I could have put garbage in front of them and they would have said, oh, that's good. I'm proud of you. And, you know, and that totally would have been fine, family. But <laughs> it was when I got to a table with those people who were like-minded, they came there with their own ideas. And, you know, they weren't finished, most of them. I mean, some of them were just written down on, like, index cards. And they were just there to, I mean, play test it and just have everyone give their thoughts on it. And everyone was really critical, or, or usually everyone is very critical in a good way. I feel like they almost spend more time talking about what they didn't like about the game than what they did, and I love that. Like, that is, like, the most helpful thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things I, I found, because I, I attend uh, the Protospiel Milwaukee uh, when I can. Actually, I've only attended one of those so far, but uh, I'm hoping to get to a few more. But I've done, I've been doing a couple other events as well. It's kind of refreshing because you said that they would talk about what they don't like, but typically what you get when you get a bunch of game designers around is, well, here's what I don't like, but here's like five ways I could see that could potentially fix that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, you may not, you know, you're not going to implement all five of those ideas, but I mean, it, it's basically a nice brainstorming session. And if you, if you feel or if you're continually hearing that's the weak point, you know, you're getting five plus different ways to potentially look at making tweaks to get rid of that weak point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was almost like, like a, a debriefing almost. 
after each gameplay where people would and yeah they always had you know criticisms but it was always very very constructive and everyone always had ideas so i mean i would say especially with tower that was incredibly helpful and amazing all right, so now I'm going to circle back to Jason. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, as I teased at the top when we were interviewing Jason, uh, he had talked about, you know, I had asked him if he had thought about going the full-blown publisher route. And, of course, we briefly discussed that at, at the time he was almost going to do uh, Tower. That's correct. And that he had basically had a conversation with you and said, you know what, this, this is something you need to do for yourself and, and, and at least experience it once. Yeah. And I really appreciated that. Um, <laughs> cause I mean, I'm happy that he waited to tell me because if he had told me that in the beginning, I would have just said, uh, no, not a chance. I'm just going <laughs> to leave it on the game crafter and it'll just be, uh, you know, a game crafter game forever. And I'm totally fine with that. But when we first started talking about, it, I think he almost said it like, a, a nice thing to say, just like, I would love to have a, you know, a, a game like Tower to publish. And I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> and then we, we got into really serious talks about it. And, you know, we threw ideas back and forth for a long time. But in the process, I got, I really got into it, uh, on how I would love to set up a Kickstarter, market my game like that, you know, and I learned everything I, I know from, you know, from, from Jason, from, uh, from Phil, from Fifth Street and, uh, from, Another designer named, named Nicholas Yu, you know, he was on this podcast very recently. And so at a certain point, I had just gotten so comfortable with the idea. And I almost feel like he held me in his hands like a butterfly <laughs> and he gently blew and he said, fly away. And he's like, you can do this. You got this. And at that point, I guess I believed him. And, and then, you know, I tried to do that. But yeah, at one point, uh, we were in, in very, very serious talks about, uh, having Tower be the first non-Grainome, Grainome game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's at this point, let's go ahead and, uh, we've been talking about it off and on, but how about you go ahead and tell everybody what Tower is all about? What, what are we looking at for, in this game? Okay. So Tower is a game for two to four players that is set in a small desert kingdom where a king or a ruler decides that he's unhappy because his kingdom is obscure. It's small. It's not big and bustling. And he decides, well, I got to do something to put myself on the map. I got to where I, I got to get my, you know, eighth wonder of the world. So he decides I'm going to build this giant tower and to sort of build publicity for it. He sends out invites to all these neighboring regions and countries says, come here and, you know, build this tower and, uh, you know, we'll make this a, a, a magical thing. And so people come from all over the world to come and build this tower. And, and in the end, the person who contributes the most to it will win and, you know, he'll marry them to their second cousin and, and they'll practically be family at that point. So that's the story of it. Mechanically, it's a set collection game. Each player has a build card which lists five different building materials that they need in order to build tower segments. So there are gems in the game, and at the start of the turn, players are going to reach into this bag and draw gems, and they're going to use those gems to go to these uh, various shops, and they're going to buy the building materials they need. And once they have all the building materials on their build card, they get to build a tower segment, and then they start the process over again. And the first person to build all three of their tower segments uh, wins the game. 
And uh, this is a game that we've reviewed. It's on episode 38. And we've also done a game preview video on the YouTube channel. Uh, I will include both of those in the show notes as well. But excellent, excellent game. Can't say enough uh, oh. nice things about this game. It, Shucks. <laughs> It's a, a lot of, lot of fun. And, uh, so, you know, you had the conversation with Jason. You, uh, you went ahead and decided to do your own Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? How, how were the nerves on that, Ben? They were, I feel like at the very beginning, when I said, like when I first declared it out loud for the first time, I'm going to run my own Kickstarter. I was very confident about it. This was, of course, preceded by, m- like about a month of denial, like, nah, no, 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 no. Of course I'm not going to do this myself. I'm going to seek out a publisher. I'm going to, you know, send out emails and I'm just going to go that route and, you know, let somebody else do it. There's no, I'm ever going to do this. And I remember at one point I was even emailing Phil and I was asking him for advice about Kickstarters and marketing and stuff. But I told him, and by the way, this is not for me. I would never, ever even consider publishing Tower myself. You know, someone else has taken a look at it. And at that time it was, it was Jason. It was like, I would never use this. No way. And once I got over the denial and realized that I could do it myself, I was, uh, I was incredibly confident about it. But as the days started to just like race, I all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going live in a week. And I was then at that point just so fearful and scared. Uh, terrified. I think terrified is the best way to put it. Really? Uh, yes. <laughs> I was like, I, oh my gosh, there, there's no way I can reach this goal because, you know, I, I sought out a quote from a company called QPC. That's quality playing card company. And I did the math and I put my goal together and I was like $12,000. There's, it's impossible. It's impossible. There's no way I could ever do this. And so I think that fed in to my, my drive and my willingness to seek another publisher because like maybe they, you know, maybe they know some way to do this for less or maybe they have some capital and they could have like a lower funding goal. And, uh, at some point I, I think, you know, it was from encouragement. I think of people, of course, you and, and Jason and, and everyone else in the, in the, in the game crafter chat that it was just like, all right, okay, maybe I can do this. But, uh, I would say the past month has just been nonstop anxiety. Yeah, I'd say we've, uh, we, we were having conversations up until a few days before you launched. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pep talks. Yeah. But of course, uh, all that, all that fretting. I mean, how does it look now? I, it's looking pretty good. <laughs> you know, are you going to pull the cautiously optimistic line on me like Nicholas did? <laughs> I, you know, it hasn't funded yet, but okay. Well, I, I guess. It'll be a few days probably before this podcast goes live. So I'll say that like right now we are at 48 hours. The the campaign has been running for just over 48 hours. And of my $12,000 goal, the last time I looked at the computer, I was at $9,200. So I'm a little over 75% of the way there. So yes, I feel really, really good about the outcome. We have 30 days to get the rest of the way there to get 2,800 bucks. So <laughs> I, part of me is very confident that, oh yeah, of course it's going to fund. But, uh, I, I think I still just got so much, uh, nervousness in me that I will, 
I will pull the cautiously optimistic move. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know about you guys. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you this one here. We're, we're getting close to our hour here. Of course, uh, I could talk forever with you. <laughs> we've, uh, we, we've been having a lot of fun. And of course, it, it's always helpful to hang out with somebody I, I know, uh, even I mean, I know we you know it's it's mostly virtually, but you and I have had so many conversations. And, we really have. Uh, this is this is crazy to actually be speaking verbally with you. I know I said <laughs> it when we first got on here, but my knee-jerk reaction was to just shut up completely when you started talking because I'm so used to listening to you <laughs> in your podcasts. Yeah, but, I, uh, yeah, I, I I could talk for hours. I uh, I apologize in advance for having to hear my voice, especially <laughs> live. But, uh, you know, here, here's one I've, I've been asking it quite a bit lately. What's the one factor that, let's say, somebody is uh, hanging out on the Kickstarter page and they're like, mm, yeah, this game might be for me. What What's like one or two things that, you're, that would, you would tell somebody to make them go, oh, you're right. I, I've totally got to back this. Okay. I would say that, mechanically speaking, Tower is a comfort food game. There's a lot of things you've seen in there before. It's uh, a worker placement, set collection, resource management, but sort of my MO, like what I like to do. Well, I guess this would have been a good answer earlier. I like to take well-known game mechanics and sort of boil them down to their basis ingredients and kind of work up a little bit from there. So Tower is very much a comfort food Euro game. Very easy to understand, very quick to set up and play. It looks great. And specifically, I designed it to have a static setup. All the prices in the markets are set. All the inventory in the markets are set so that you could just take it right out of the box, set it up and just go. It plays great uh, with a mix of new gamers and seasoned gamers. And uh, it's a fantastic filler game if there's a lot of hardcore gamers at the table. Have you had any of the challenges? This is something that I've been asking off and on, and it's just, it's kind of the way Kickstarter has kind of shaped some game design. But have you had to consider the fact that you were going to be on Kickstarter with designing anything uh, specifically around potential stretch goals or anything like that? Originally, no. My goal with Tower was to be a game on the Game Crafter. And that's all I wanted for. And and really, I think that that's a, a good thing to aspire to. I just wanted to have a good game on the Game Crafter that people could look at and go, oh, wow, that's cool. I want to pick that up. It wasn't until I realized, oh, maybe I could do more with this that I was like, well, how do I build up from here? So the answer is is 100% no. I d Once I started thinking about stretch goals for a long time, I just drew a blank. Like, what what could I add to this game? Um, and, you know, eventually, you know, ideas just, they did kind of start to crop up and pour out, but, uh, it was a very slow drip at first. I think that's another place where, um, going to the playtesting meetings and, and meeting with Sarah and, and, uh, Will and the rest of the group has, has really helped just come up with ideas to expand the game. Uh, but originally, no, I did not design the stretch goals in mind. But what's funny is that every game idea since Tower that I've taken past the initial testing stages, I can't get stretch goals out of my head. <laughs> like I try to, I'm like, this is, this is a bad way to design games. 
but they just they sneak in there and go, ooh, this would make a good stretch goal. See, ooh, this could start out as normal dice, but then a stretch goal could be to make them custom dice. These could be regular meeple pawns, and then you know we could have a stretch goal to make them like these these custom meeples. So yeah, I can't help it. <laughs> I think at this point Kickstarter is so ingrained in me. I love Kickstarter. You and I have both backed just you know a ton of projects at this point, and it's just you know it's it's in my mind for good. I think. Yeah, see that that's kind of where I, it it hasn't been. It's been a few months now, probably, but it, it's just been recently that that's really started to kind of sit in my mind when I'm talking to people. And the the fact that you you know it's it's a it's a fine line to walk. It really is. It's you don't want to put out a game that's that's half baked and hope you stretch goal into the the real game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it's expected at this point. The community is expecting stretch goals and everything. Right. And I think it's, I think it's going to be kind of interesting because if I remember it, and, and it'll be interesting to see if he stays this way, but I'm going to talk to him eventually. So maybe I don't want to let too much out of the bat, but you probably <laughs> know who I'm talking about. Uh, but somebody's going to do their, their first Kickstarter ever and they're trying to go straight up. Here's my game. I don't have any stretch goals. I don't have anything. Here's my game. And it's going to be interesting to watch that happen because it's almost going to be like you were in the middle of watching your favorite show and the cable's gone out, but you don't want to, your mind can't process that your cable's gone out. Don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, if I sit here still, it's going to happen, right? It's just going to come back on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's a very uh, colorful (laughs) analogy. I believe I do know who you're talking about. And I think it's, it's funny to say that that's almost a radical game design, but it kind of feels like it. Like, oh, he's a renegade. I know it's ridiculous, um, isn't it? That's right. just like, that's, that's how it's worked forever. <laughs> yeah. On Kickstarter, you gotta have stretch goals. At the same time, I think I have backed a couple of projects where there just were not any stretch goals or the stretch goals were negligible. Um, so where they, they might as well not have even been there and it worked out okay, but it is, it is it's a very, it's a, it feels like a very foreign idea. Like you're going on Kickstarter, no stretch goals. <laughs> um, it's bizarre. Yeah. I think I know who you're talking to, but I'm going to, yeah. See. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. All right. So uh, let, let's, uh, let's bring this to a, a wrap up point here. Do you have any lessons or recommendations you have for anybody else that might be thinking of coming up behind you here and, and utilizing Kickstarter for their project? I would say constantly doubt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I know that's weird advice to give. I can't remember who it is. There's another podcast I listen to. It's called Professor Blastoff. And they had a, you know, like a big shot producer. You know, I think he was a, a manager or an agent, right, for other people. And he he had a piece of advice that I think can be applied to pretty much anything. He said that anxiety and success kind of go together of always thinking, oh, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. How can I make this better? And then when you finally do show it, after months and months of, of just like biting your nails and, and thinking what other people will say about it, when you finally do show it, the, the, the reception is usually, it's pretty good. So I would say that whenever you, when you design something and you think, this is good, this is good. I'm, I'm going to go with this. Spend, I mean, a good amount of time pretending other people are looking at it and saying awful things about it. 
<laughs> this might be bad advice. I don't know. Maybe it just works for me. But I think of the worst things that people can say about something I've put together and then try to kind of cut off this imaginary person at the pass and say, oh, all right, well, I, I'll fix it. And then when you finally do show it to somebody, maybe the reaction would be would be good. Well, and it kind of goes a little bit into it depends too, if, like especially if it's like your first game. You know, there's that whole advice of make multiple games and don't necessarily always go with your first game. Or that first game has always got your your baby game syndrome. Yeah, where it's like, no, this this is this is the game I was always meant to make, and it's going <laughs> to cost two hundred dollars a game, but it's exactly the way I wanted it to be forever, and you can't say anything bad about this because it's two hundred dollars a game. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and you see that all the time. I mean, it, you do. I mean, we see it almost. I would say on at least a daily basis, at least one person will come to the Game Crafter and they're brand new and they'll say, sup nerds, I got the best game you guys have ever seen. I can't even show you the rules because you will steal it. Yes. And so I'm just going to throw it up here on the shop. I know you guys want to buy it, so I'm not even going to ask you to. I'm out. Peace. And, you know, I, I, but, you know, that's just rarely the way it ever works. <laughs> I think you should always be willing to take criticism, even if it's not constructive criticism. Try and make it constructive later yourself. Try and turn it into a positive and try and, and make your game better. But always, I think if you could boil that down, I would just say there is no rush to doing anything. I think, you know, we kind of create our, our own deadlines. Like I said to myself, you know, I'm going to launch Tower on February uh, 17th. And that was the first deadline I ever had. And of course, as it approached, I was like, Oh, I got to push it out. I, I got to cancel this and, you know, push it forward a month. But that was the, the only deadline with a game I had ever worked with before. And so just, just remember that before you show it to anybody, like nobody, of, of course, you know, nobody knows it exists. So you have all the time in the world to make it the absolute best game you can before it makes its debut. Sounds good. All right. Tower is on Kickstarter right now. It's going what? until March 24th, 2014. Ben is looking for your help to get $12,000. Uh, we've already got him a little over 9000 <laughs> Doesn't mean he doesn't need more. And there are some really good stretch goals, including the uh, resource upgrade is the one that I really think. Uh, and if you listen to the review, Jordan says it's, definitely worth it as well uh so you know uh go on out there check it out if it's something you're interested in back it and uh help us get to that those stretch goals we're talking about Woo! all right ben <laughs> thank you sir for hanging out with me tonight oh thank you jeff it's been a blast all right everybody again tower check it out the show notes i will have the link talk Sweet. to you soon 